Hello, Recursive Community, for, for one more episode from Athens. Our next guest is known as the guru of the Greek startups. Apostolos Apostolakis is a partner at Venture Friends, the first 100 private venture capital fund in Greece with successful exits and unicorns like Brewground, Spot Oil in their portfolio, among many others. Today, Venture Friends has spread its impact not only throughout Europe, but also in South America and the Middle East. Apostolos also has a vast portfolio as an angel investor, but prior to that, he was a serial, serial entrepreneur tapping into niches like e-commerce. Apostolos has studied civil engineering and holds an uh, MBA in the Columbia Business School. He kick-started his career as a consultant at Boston Consulting Group. Group. Apostolos Apostolakis, welcome to the Recursive Podcast. Um, thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. We're very happy to be here with you. And uh, I'm going to deep dive into the first question directly. What unlocked your entrepreneur spirit? I think there was a, a dormant entrepreneurial spirit uh, in place, but actually it happened gradually. Uh, this was unlocked gradually. So first I had to find my business uh, inclination because initially I studied civil engineering. So, uh, I mean, I, it wasn't clear that I would go into business. Gradually, I discovered that business is my true passion. Uh, so then I, I worked, I mean, I studied business in the US, as, as you just said, and then worked for a consulting firm, which brought me closer to entrepreneurship. Um, but in reality, I chose to, be, to become an entrepreneur a bit later after having all those experiences and after building the confidence that I can venture uh, on the entrepreneurial side of things. So it was a step-by-step -step approach, uh, gaining confidence and being exposed to entrepreneurship. Uh, in reality, the trigger was the fact that I was invited by classmates of mine at uh, university to join them and, and found um, the, the first e-commerce company in Greece, uh, eShop. So that was the trigger. That was the trigger. So was that like the moment uh, that um, made, uh, grew your appetite for the startup world? Or it happened also, this happened slowly and then suddenly? It happened slowly, it grew. Uh, and and to, to be very frank, it, it's, I, I did join them and together we, uh, we started the eShop. But then I felt the need to go back to the US, not, not back, to go to the US and, and get a proper business education because up to then I was, I had just a civil engineering degree. That's and when you did the Columbia University. Exactly. Okay. So I went to, to Columbia and then again I worked for a couple of years in consulting. And only at that time I felt certain that what I really want to do is follow entrepreneurial path. Uh, and the reasons were impact, I wanted to have more impact, I wanted to, to be directly involved in something. And uh, I had already tried um, working in business. Mm -hmm. So only in 2004, it was actually the time when I became uh, an entrepreneur by rejoining eShop. I see you joined and rejoined it after the exactly. education. So you believe that um, uh, education is crucial and it can uh, help you and assist you in thriving your business if you properly educate yourself? That, that, that's a, that's a, a good uh, a good point of discussion and maybe it's different for different people in my case I felt I was lacking the basics of business mm -hmm. uh, because I had these civil engineering studies and I felt this gap uh, I know that other people they just jump in business and they pick things up on the way I just wanted to make sure that I had filled the gaps of the basic understandings of the various pillars of business hence and, and especially going to the US, which is where business, as you know, is... Uh, <laughs> Broadens your horizons uh, yes, from and, the heart. And it's also taught in, in a very thorough way uh, compared to Europe, which is a bit lagging in terms of business education and uh, mentality. Uh, at least that's my, my feeling. So, yeah, uh, that was the main reason why I wanted to, to fill all the gaps and then uh, venture uh, wholeheartedly in business. Uh, but before going to the, the next question that we have, I would like to ask something on that. Uh, what about someone that is in Greece or in Europe and he's not able to go to the States? How can, for example, he can take the, back this knowledge for somehow or like yeah. get the, the American style, let's say, yeah. the successful American style? I mean, things are very different. If you're thinking 20 years back, uh, knowledge was not so readily available. Today, everything is readily available and you can actually get 
much better education uh, by uh, searching online and attending online courses and connecting quite easily to the experts in the field that you want to follow. I would, I would actually argue that probably it's better use of one's time today to get that education directly from the experts rather than going for more broad uh, education uh, in subjects that may not be uh, to their interest in a university. So there is, there is a healthy debate around that. So knowledge, access to knowledge and access to very strong people today is out there uh, and it can happen um, uh, online. So it's, it's easier than ever to get a proper education in, in various okay. subjects. Yes, it's, uh, that's, that's true. And uh, especially for lo lifelong learners, uh, it's a paradise now where you can get like education from the Ivy League universities online from your home. Uh, exactly. Yes, that's very interesting. And what about the consulting, uh, your experience. consulting experience? How exactly did it shape you? And uh, how did it help you afterwards succeed in everything that you've done, actually? <laughs> You're one of the few people that we can say that anything you have done is considered successful. It, I mean, not anything I've done is considered <laughs> successful, certainly not. I was in this event uh, with your stories of failure that was also very exactly. interesting, like seven years ago, so we can talk about that as well. But generally Many speaking, let's be been... honest, don't be humble. You, you... No, I'm, I'm honest. I'm just saying that not everything has been a success. Overall, of, yes, clearly it is, it is a successful course, but in the meantime, there were failures, uh, the, the smaller or bigger failures that shaped also my personality and made me made me probably better suited for, for future successes. I think it's quite um, formative. If you go through failure, it's a very helpful experience. Uh, you're going through a very painful phase and at the time you say, okay, why, why do I have to go through this? But in reality, if you look back, you realize that probably that was the most uh, interesting and helpful lesson uh, you would get. Um, but back to your point about consulting, I actually uh, believe my consulting experience was very helpful. Uh, consulting is a, an environment and all rigorous professional environments. It can be investment banking, it can be um, uh, other great companies that have uh, programs. This is a structured environment where you get to see how the corporate world also operates. Uh, you are surrounded by great individuals who have also aspirations, are driven. You get to solve a problem. So in a sense that also helps you prepare about entrepreneurial life. But you have to act very quickly, you have to learn quickly in order to be relevant to the client. And you have to, one thing of the things you learn, which is very important also in entrepreneurship, in uh, fundraising, in everything, is uh, communication. So you learn to communicate orally and also in, in written form by, by preparing a, a succinct slide deck, for instance, <laughs> um, when you're presenting to the client. So this is very helpful because many people, even people who aspire to be tech entrepreneurs, they, we see that there is a gap in how they communicate. Sometimes they are not to the point or the communication is not compelling. And I think a consulting experience actually helps you a lot in uh, structuring the problem you're solving and then presenting in a compelling way the solution. And your point and... Uh... Exactly. Because yeah, we, we can see that many times, unfortunately in the Greek universities, uh, yes. that, 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 that has started to improve slightly. But we're still but lagging a lot. You never have a class of public speaking, you never have a class of presentation, you don't know how to present yourself, you appear, you, you appear like in the first job, you have to present something and you're getting extremely stressed. Uh, so either if you have an amazing idea, it's very difficult to present it and to sell it. And structure it, yeah, exactly. No, that's totally right. And this is a big gap, actually. Of It used to be a bigger gap. Now, probably, it's it's improving. But that was a gap in, in um, Greek education, both at uh, school and university. And universities. And uh, as we talk uh, on uh, about education, um, you studied engineering. Yes. And uh, lately, we see that uh, many people have studied something that they never worked on with, or they never continued. They found out another uh, things passion. they like or passion, exactly. Uh, but for sure, this helped you somehow. The engineering and then the combination with a finance degree. How did it, that, that help you in your career so far? Uh, it did help because engineering in general, uh, and I did civil engineering, which is also a bit more uh, far out from, from uh, tech entrepreneurship. However, the way of thinking, 
the analysis, the structure is helpful in any context. Mm -hmm. So definitely it was a useful experience uh, in terms of the way of thinking. But you never wanted to work back? Uh... I worked a bit for, for a year um, and, and the influence was, my father was a civil engineer, so that's why, to be honest, uh, I didn't even consider applying for different uh, university. Uh, I, I only applied for civil engineering in Athens and I, I and in, in the middle of uh, the, the third year, I realized, okay, I'm actually attracted to business. Uh, so. We're happy that you realized that uh, soon enough. <laughs> and uh, in a previous podcast, we're talking exactly about that the role models in our life and, and how they shape what we want to become. But afterwards, it's also important who we are surrounded by, where we study our peers, so we can uh, reveal other probably exactly. hidden powers and discover the, the passion. hidden passions. So, so this is about staying open. Uh, having this growth mindset, but also being open to stimuli and experiences because uh, only if you're open and you're taking different um, images, different learnings from people, then you realize, okay, maybe I'd rather do something different. And uh, you did actually something different, uh, different, but you decided to come back to Greece. And uh, that's actually a question that we were thinking about. You went to the States. You studied in Columbia, a very prestigious university. You worked in Boston Consulting Group. So you were like going the ladder, exactly how it should go. The you typical, know? let's say, The yeah. typical ladder. And then you decide and you realize you want to be into business and you decide to come back to Greece. Why didn't you stay there? Uh, to be honest, I, again, and uh, I don't want to, you know, burst the, the, the dream, but in reality, I played it safe because I said, okay, I want to expand my understanding about business. So, and I want to stay close to, to entrepreneurship and, and startups. So I said, okay, going to BCG is, is a safe stepping stone for me to utilize in a, in a, in a conducive way my, um, my time. So uh, invest my time in by learning more and, and without uh, while keeping my options open. Uh, my options, could have been after consulting, go in the, corp in the corporate environment or go to, uh, to a startup. So in a way, I try to learn more and, and expand without limiting my options. Okay, but that's interesting because normally a successful entrepreneur is uh, correlated directly with to being, as being a risk lover. And you said, I again I played yeah. it safe. Yes. I did. So, so that's, that's a very good point. And I'm saying we all say, okay, you should take more risk. In a sense, I actually took the risk at a, uh, at a stage where I had more experience. So, so I am a risk taker for sure. And this can be evidenced, uh, can be shown by, by some yes. of my decisions in the future. But at that time, I took some risk. But it was a calculated risk. It's calculated. It wasn't like a crazy risk. Oh, I'm leaving everything without without getting a proper education. I'm starting a startup. Mm -hmm. I would admire that. To be, uh, for, for, many people do that. In my case, I actually uh, joined a startup after having tried consulting and having said, "Okay, this is not for me." After having built some experience and some understanding of how business works. So yeah, I took a calculated risk. So if you were, uh, if your advice was asked from someone. Uh, would you advise them also to take calculated risks, in, especially in the beginning, or would you advise them also to keep on always calculating? Yeah, I think, I mean, every person is different and some people will build this confidence and they have this confidence they can do anything from uh, without maybe being ready, but maybe in their, in their view they are ready. So I just, so it's a personal decision. If somebody feels they're, they're ready, they should embark on the entrepreneurial journey sooner than later. Mm -hmm. In my case, it was, it was, I was still, I was 20, I was in my 30s uh, when I started, I embarked on the journey. I felt more confident. What we have seen empirically, I mean, from experience, typically founders, I mean, there's this myth that founders are very young, they don't even go to university. In reality, most of the founders start something when they're in their 30s. So most of the people who undertake the entrepreneurial journey have already amassed some experience. They have built the confidence, they have built the network because the network is also important when you're starting something. So I, th I would say that I, I just follow the norm in terms of the, the age typically people start. So that, that's, that's a good point uh, that you mentioned. Uh, from your experience, which is 
uh, pretty vast. Um, the, the, the good successful startup or someone that wants to start is in its mid Most of the people, yes. I would say that the average age... What are the, like, the characteristics, if you could make a very, very vague uh, generalization? I have, I have enough data points, but I've, because I've, I've worked with many 50-plus founders, so I know from this data set the average age of people who have started were early 30s. Mm -hmm. uh, but also have read about it, that even in the US, the, the founders of successful startups, the, again, the average age is, is uh, when they started was early 30s or mid 30s. Or mid 30s. Yes. And what so are the exceptions, the... like Mark Zuckerberg or those guys who started very <laughs> okay, early. Okay, yes, of course. Exceptions. There are exceptions. Okay. Uh, that's interesting, yes, because many people, young people, uh, they think like, okay, I'm going to finish school, I'm not going to go to the university, I'm going to start a startup, I'm going to become a billionaire. Or you can join a startup. I mean, the, many people do that, which is another career path, a bit less risk-taking because you're not taking the responsibility at a very young age to start something and then bring the people and build everything. I think a slightly safer, for sure, step, but also in the right direction and also taking some risk is joining a startup. I think that would be the most useful thing mm -hmm. because then you can join a startup having the luxury of not having the responsibility of the success or the failure of that startup. You get an idea whether this is for you or not. You learn a lot, you make some valuable um, connections, and then three, four, five years, whenever you feel ready, then you jump on your, on your entrepreneurial journey. And this is a path I've seen many people take as well. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, wherever you feel ready, and wherever you have the right idea, or just becoming a startupper for the sake of becoming a startupper. I mean, obviously, it never makes sense to do anything for the sake of it, right? It's it's something that you feel that should come out of you. Otherwise, you're not going to be successful at it if you don't if you do it for the others. You need to do things that you feel passionate about. So, yeah, I, I guess you, this grows. This grows. Uh, the more you talk with other similarly-minded people, uh, you interact with them. Hopefully, you get enthused by what they how they they feel and what they have achieved. And then you jump on the journey when you're ready. And you jumped on another journey that was the funding. Yes, the funding side. I mean, the funding side, that was interesting. And you decided to become an investor. Yes. Did so you take a risk there or was it also calculated? And how did that happen? I think, in my view, it was a calculated risk again. So I was an operator. I was involved with two, three startups. I learned a lot. I also had my failures in the meantime. So it was e-commerce, marketplaces with uh, e-food and doctor anytime. So at some point, I, I, I came across very, very interesting, very strong people who had uh, passion and ideas of their own. And for me, this was the, most, the second most exciting thing, like supporting, partnering with those people. So I was an early investor at Beat uh, and, and many other Greek uh, companies. And this this happened gradually because when you're an angel investor, then again you're close to the operations. You're not uh, just a, a later stage investor who who is a bit more detached mm -hmm. from from operations. So it, it happened gradually. I became an angel investor. I started investing in in Greece and internationally. Uh, and through that experience, that showed me the limitations of being an angel investor. The limitation being the scalability of uh, access to capital, for instance. As an angel investor, you, maybe you, you can form a syndicate. It which, was in 2016, correct? We, the, uh, 2016 was when the fund was created. Venture the fund fans. was created. So I was an angel investor between 2012. I mean, the, 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 for, yes. So we positioned it chronologically because you had many more limitations back then. Exactly. The limitations of the Greek ecosystem, for instance, at the time and in general. Ten years ago. Was... Yes. It was very small. There was no funding. Uh, and actually, I, I experienced them both as an entrepreneur with eFood when I was fundraising with my partners for eFood for and we didn't manage to raise funding. Or with Beat, where I was an, an, an investor, an, an angel investor, and I was helping uh, the founder raise capital. There was no capital around for Greek <laughs> startups. So that's where I had in, in mind that there is, there, is a, there is a gap. So when, in 2015, the eFood was sold to Delivery Hero, it was a liquidity event. It, it was another data point which allowed me to uh, first of all, convince a friend of mine who was also an angel investor with me to join me and we, George, uh, and we co-founded Venture Friends. And together we went out to, to private investors. It was a very difficult year for Greece, 2015, capital controls. However, I had this conviction that there was a clear uh, gap, a clear opportunity. 
And that's why we manage with persistence and um, effort to raise uh, 20 million from uh, 40 different uh, investors. And that's how Venture Friends won our first fund uh, came to, to life. During a very tough year for Greece. Yes. Extremely tough year. It is extremely tough. And, and somebody from the outside would think, okay, that was a risky move, trying to, to, to raise capital in a difficult year, um, raise capital for startups in Greece. I mean, how big was the ecosystem back then? What is a startup? Yes, definitely. <laughs> back many, then. Many of the definitely. discussions were like that. We had to educate people a lot. But from my side, it, it didn't feel like risky at all. And it felt like a no-brainer. And I, I believe that this enthusiasm and passion and belief, conviction we had about the asset class, the venture capital asset class, is what eventually allowed us to raise this capital and convince people who had no, um, no connection with, um, with startup investing before. I mean, we really, in a sense, educated many family offices because there is capital in Greece. There are many successful people, uh, entrepreneurs in, in various industries, but they just didn't, were not aware of the opportunity back then in 2015-16. And what were, uh, the, did you face also other challenges except for the raising money and the education of the people? Did you raise, also finding startups? Finding startups was not a challenge for us. Of course, we, there, there is a learning curve. So maybe in the beginning, we, we were also a bit more, less savvy about what kind of startups are a better fit for a venture capital fund. Uh, but we, we found... Uh, we, we came across some amazing people and, and we backed them. So that was a time when we supported Blueground uh, and Instashop uh, and uh, Yo Hero, Duleftaras and uh, Spotterwheel. So it was... And we, we all know they've done amazingly so yes. far. So uh, within a few years, many of the, of the companies we supported became international, became successful, recognizable. And actually, that's what helped us also raise our second fund uh, in 2018. Um, based on the success of the first fund. And we have to give credit also to AIF and, 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 and um, the Equifund program. So also the Greek government for creating a program which supported the creation of other funds and the second fund for us. Uh, and then we, we broadened the scope a bit. We became more European. We always, obviously all of us are very international and we had the, the aspiration to become a more international investor and we also realized that we can't be relevant in other geographies because the, the business models are the same. Our network grew over time. Mm -hmm. Our team also grew. We have a team member in Poland and, and in London. So we started investing uh, through our network in uh, around Europe and, and the Middle East. Some of the investments in Spain became successful in Latin America. So we started growing gradually uh, a network in LATAM and hence we also with our third fund, also did some great investments in Latin America. Wow, you've expanded so... We, we expanded <laughs> a bit, yes. But always step by step um, and always feeling confident mm -hmm. that we could be a relevant investor and we could uncover value, discover value in those places as well. You said before, um, I had the feeling, and uh, I would like to ask you, do you listen to your intuition? Do you believe that intuition, gut feeling is also an important coefficient in decision making in such a sphere, in, in this sector or in investing? Definitely. Intuition is also, uh, uh, can be, uh, you know, a guide for decisions because intuition in the end is the, um, the you know, the the aggregation of the experience that we have, and then we call it intuition because we have seen so many things, we have met so many people, we have learned, and that's how we build intuition. And sometimes we get a strong feeling about something, sometimes we get a weaker one, but when we have a strong feeling about something, this is how, um, I guess, we feel more confident about taking a decision based on that. Do you recognize uh, a startup? from the beginning, that it will be good, probably good Some, now. Sometimes it happens. And yes, I, I still remember that, for instance, with, with um, Blueground, uh, it was a very quick discussion when I met the founder, Alexandros. He was um, uh, just a charismatic person who very, very well articulated his vision in a very uh, convincing way. So yes, sometimes you get this, this feeling, but there are other, other times where you don't get this feeling right away, but then uh, you actually the data points, the actions uh, and the progress show that 
people can do great things um, because not everybody is very communicative. Exactly. Uh, that what we said that before they that they're not very. Yes. Not everyone is very prepared. Were prepared to present its idea. Yeah. And what about consistency? Consistency um, regarding what? Regarding if you see uh, someone that is coming to you and again coming and they're consistent and insisting and evolving and coming again. But I think it's about consistency. Okay, being um, diligent about things in general is is a very important uh, trait. As an entrepreneur, you need to be, of course, diligent as a professional in general. So yes, I, I guess it's. Um, It's a very strong point, identifying people who are very responsible and very consistent and diligent. Clearly, it is uh, very important in business. Because many opportunities are lost just because people are not diligent. They have the opportunity and then they just don't act on it. They just let go. They grasp it and they let go. Um, Expanding, you said about expanding to Latin America and Middle East. Was there a specific trigger point that happened? This was something that gave you confidence to do it? Uh, yes. Why Latin America, for example? I mean, it so happened that we came across great people uh, in business models that we understand. So mm-hmm. uh, venture friends, uh, as a team, we invest in fintech, marketplaces, uh, prop tech. So if there is a, a company along those themes uh, and then a team that we can, that resonates, that's how we would, we would um, take would. the decision. And which is your uh, most favorite part in the investment process? If you have one. Yeah, I mean, uh, I wouldn't single out uh, one in, in the sense that for me, it's very interesting when you're trying to understand whether there is a potential, whether there is a fit, uh, whether the, the ambition level, the capacity of, of the team is there. Uh, that's very interesting because you're learning in the process, you're understanding an industry, you're understanding people. Uh, then the, it's the part of the evaluation that is the, the least pleasant because it's uncomfortable. Um, discussing uh, about sharing of, of the value. But then the interesting part is afterwards, once you, you see the idea and, and the progress of the, of the company and you're trying to be part um, of this by, by supporting, by thinking around the strategy or uh, becoming a partner and connecting with the relevant people and becoming an advocate of the company. I think this is a very, very uh, interesting part. I've heard, you know, becoming a partner, education, uh, so many startups up now are unicorn, as we said. You're like the father of the Greek startup ecosystem after all this year. Uh, let's just say I've been, I've been around for some time and we, together with amazing. other people we help. There's a lot to be given forward. Um, what we see lately is many startups are uh, after the smart, the, the smart, fast money. Would you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, in the past, <laughs> they were just after money <laughs> because <laughs> they couldn't really have a choice. Uh, I guess now there is choice. At least they used to be until um, uh, six months ago. Things are changing again a bit. Uh, but in reality, we see now many investors who either have been ex-operators or they've really been in the scene for many years and they have amassed knowledge and experience. So obviously, a founder a founding team needs and ideally wants an investor who has relevant industry understanding, um, is founder friendly in the sense that has the empathy for the for the entrepreneur, because that's also important. Maybe you're you're very knowledgeable about your industry, but maybe you're just thinking of your side as an investor. Just uh, some people sometimes may may see their role as um, an investor who is just getting the KPIs and not really trying to, to work with entrepreneur uh, or getting in their shoes. And I think it's important because there will, there will always be difficult times and it's very important for, a, for an investor to be near the team uh, at those times. So now there is more choice. There are many investors. It's becoming more democratized, more global, the whole... Uh, so also this is being democratized now. The startup is clearly. choosing its investor, yes. potential investor. Definitely. Really? Uh, yeah, for sure, because there is just so much capital. And yes, now it's, it's, it's a small blip and maybe for the next year it's going to be a bit more difficult for funding. But overall, we have seen the emergence of so many investors uh, and we have also seen many investors investing globally. So that created many more options for founders. Okay. And uh, you have uh, said in, 
that you believe that the best investment though is in yourself yeah i mean definitely how are you investing in yourself if i ask like which is your way to invest in yourself and why this is so important yeah investing in oneself has a broad sense one sense is okay it's about learning right so but as we said before learning is is constant you will need to learn all the time and in our job you're learning all the time if if you're just talking with other smart people and you're exploring sectors just by having this interaction you learn uh, new things and then those that knowledge becomes relevant for other people you talk to uh, and as you follow the course of a startup which is going through different phases through different challenges uh, expanding internationally then again you learn and you transfer that knowledge so one aspect is is in investing in yourself i was i was probably thinking about it in 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 the younger ages where you're just starting and then the more the best investment you can do is like becoming an expert in a specific field if you're if you're you know a technical person a developer you need to invest a lot in learning becoming very good at what you do uh if you're a digital marketer the same thing there is so much knowledge as we said before online and easily accessible uh, you can do courses and just go deep and, and learn so that's in that sense you invest in yourself then as you grow of course there are other things investing in yourself could also mean maybe taking a break from time to time and taking some time off because you're becoming overwhelmed maybe not as effective um so it's it's about keeping a balance so it has also this sense this but this balance discussion is always so difficult <laughs> yes the balance never is is never achieved but you know it's it's about maybe tilting it a bit towards more balance um what was the last thing you learned i mean it's like uh, i didn't uh, know uh, that and I, i oh my gosh i don't know that i just find it out but i'm learning every every hour i mean in the <laughs> sense that i had a call with a startup two days ago and it was for instance about uh you know, a mental health startup, uh, I, I learned about, you know, the differences between Italy and Spain in, in terms of how the consumer perceives value or uh, what's a proper way to do customer acquisition. So knowledge is a very broad, uh, broad thing. And in our job, you're just, you're, you're doing it from a fire hose. It's a typical mm-hmm. expression. It's probably about what do you choose to learn and retain because um, there's just so much information that literally exactly. a lot of it just is, is eventually not getting absorbed. Exactly. And it's very difficult to filter from the limited time that someone has to where am I getting the information from? What do I read? How do I educate myself? And how do I know that this information I'm getting is correct or the best information I could get? How do you stay up to date? Really? What, what is your daily routine for educating yourself or learning the industry trends i mean typically i learned the industry trends in the industries i mean through the founders who are on the forefront and they are sharing the industry news yes of course reading media and uh, online uh, social networks if you have a close uh, a circle of people whom you trust and they post things or you through informal discussions you may learn so i think staying up to date is, is happening naturally naturally and also within our team Uh, we are now eight eight people on, on the investment side, so we share with each we other. We have a innovation. WhatsApp group, or and we we share interesting learnings. Many people would like to be in this WhatsApp group <laughs> it is, <it's laughs> to see the new trends and what is happening. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very interesting, and we are all eager to learn and um, be be in the loop of uh, what is happening, especially in the sectors where. Uh, and what active. is going to happen? How, happen? How do you do the foresight? I mean, the foresight is very specific. Uh, in, in every sector, it depends on the, on the company. Uh, we're not experts in macro, but we understand micro. Uh, and the more time you have spent a specific um, sector with a specific company, the more you understand the dynamics and you can see where and this is, uh, where this is heading. Is heading. Yeah. That's interesting. You have said before that crises make the greatest companies. Uh, and, but how do you teach resilience in the startup teams you work with? I guess uh, resilience is one of those things that uh, you realize you have it when the crisis hits you. And hopefully you realize you have it, uh, <laughs> which we have seen with many uh, companies that uh, we, we have supported and they went through very difficult times. Our role is there to, to, to support 
and let them know that this is, these are not, uh, they're not the only ones who are going through difficult times. For instance, last time was Corona for us. We had many companies in the travel space or even companies like Blue Ground. But uh, I think it's helpful that we have also been through very painful moments uh, in, as entrepreneurs. Uh, and, and then if this comes, so if you, you, you're trying to help somebody and tell him that it's not only you, this, you have to fight and keep on going, it resonates better if the person who says that has been in that situation or even in a worse situation. So I think we can be, I strongly believe actually, we can be quite uh, relevant and helpful in those discussions. And uh, thankfully we've seen that most entrepreneurs, exactly because they, they chose to embark in that journey, they have that resilience that maybe they didn't need to show earlier because they didn't go through a crisis, but when the times such times come, such they, times come, come they, they reveal it. They reveal it. It's amazing. Um, I have a very interesting question here. Uh, I think you can elaborate more and you know why, why, why we decided to ask it. What is your favorite Greek god and why? Oh, no, I, I didn't know why you decided to ask it. <laughs> but because, to be honest, I haven't paid to... Uh, uh, it's been some time since I thought about... Um, the Greek, Greek mythology. mythology. <laughs> I mean, by visiting. They say various... it's uh, connected to the archetypes of leadership, the Greek gods, so each one is aligned. But which is. Okay, if you had on top of your mind. I have on top of my mind one. Uh, and maybe it's because, uh, you know, I, I live in Athens. I really I like I love the city. Um, so Athena is, is one a of A goddess. The, yes, a goddess who's a goddess of wisdom, of uh, tenacity, of. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, someone who gets a job done in general, <laughs> uh, even though she was not Zeus, who was the, like the, the leader, but she was still somebody um, smart and uh, who was getting things done. So I would say Athena. Athena was indeed. Um, but sorry, I cannot not ask Athena. What about the Athenas and the woman representation in the startup ecosystem? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is uh, clearly, we, we see that there is under-representation. Wow. On our side, we have supported quite a few female uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I'm you very happy indeed. for that. Yes. And I'm, I'm very happy for that. I mean, f f the way I see it is just a matter of numbers. There are just not many um, uh, women undertaking that, uh, that journey. Mm -hmm. And this has to do with uh, culture and education and the risk profile. But I think this is changing. And of course, I know that in teams where there is more diversity, we see better results. So it's yes, clearly, it's clearly very, very important for a team to have different voices, and and, um, and the same, of course, goes for founding teams. So I, I believe that we're we're going to see things change in the right direction. But uh, yeah. And uh, if you could, uh, because you have supported also female uh, startup uh, representatives and. Uh, you, you have this uh, like example from from insight. Uh, which is the biggest difference and the biggest contribution that a woman uh, in the tech sector could help, and vice versa? Like what each one can learn from other. I uh, I can see that women in general they have a higher EQ, uh, empathy. They uh, can build better relationships. Um, and, and this is very important in startups when there are ups and downs and you need to build a culture. And sometimes uh, male founders may neglect that in, in, the, you know, in the name of efficiency and then speed. But it's very important uh, in the long run. Um, so I, I, in, in the female founders we have supported, that's what I've seen as, as an advantage. As a disadvantage, sometimes you, you see uh, maybe a lack of um, a more, more structure, mm -hmm. um, I guess. But this, it's not that the data uh, that we have is like uh, very big, the data set is very big. We have supported maybe four or five female founders and then uh, 30, 40 um, male. But male from, from a generalization, I could offer those two data points. Perfect. And um, let's elaborate a little bit more on the Greek ecosystem that you're very well aware of. Um, it's amazing how great Greek ecosystem is deploying the power of its diaspora worldwide. How did you manage to do that? I mean, we're very lucky because Greek diaspora wants to be engaged. They want to be helpful. 
so they have supported whenever they were given the, the whenever they were asked many people uh, living in in the us or in, in europe anywhere were eager to help founders they were eager to invest as angel investors or as limited partners so i believe we're all very thankful uh, to them so in that sense it was easy it was just about reaching out uh, making them letting them know that, that things are happening so they get more engaged and we also saw many of them coming back uh, and bringing um, engaging their networks for, from from abroad many people have come back uh, both in our in venture friends we had greeks who came back from from london we had um, a new great uh, early stage fund genesis that was created from two guys stereos and dimitris who came back from from the uh, uh, Far East and Canada. <laughs> and so they came back to... They came back to Athens to, to form a pre-seed fund. Uh, this is for me the, a testament of the uh, of how promising the Greek ecosystem can be and how eager people are to come back and, and create something. So, yeah, I, we're fortunate to have this network who are always eager to invest some of their time and resources to help. Would you say about yourself that you can spot a future unicorn? I mean, I'm trying. I cannot say <laughs> I, can, I can spot, but... <laughs> you have spot. So yeah. how do you do that? I mean, you, you, don't, you don't know. You, in the beginning, all you can say, okay, because we have to admit that there is a part of luck in, in something. So maybe there is a very That's strong... exactly what I wanted to avoid, because normally most successful people are very, very humble, which is very nice. But, it's but here you have the data. With... But, but the data, yes, of course. But you, you, need, you need some luck. And I'm saying this because maybe there's a great team. They have, they have identified the right problem. They're working very hard. But then something exogenous happens and they, they don't make it the first time. Of course, if they're driven people, they will try again and they will make it the second time. So that's why I'm saying that sometimes luck and timing also is important. But what we start with is with a, with a great team of people with a very clear uh, problem and yes, then chances are in our favor uh, and, and hopefully things will work out sooner than later. Um, yeah, I, I think this, this happens with experience as you, as you get to meet more uh, people, you understand more things. Hopefully you develop a better sense. You're known as a guru of the Greek startups. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it's... How do you see your role actually though? within the Greek startup ecosystem and how do you envision yourself in 10 years from now? I mean, I've been, I'm just somebody who has been around for, for quite some time since the beginning of the ecosystem as, a, as an uh, entrepreneur and then gradually angel investor and venture capitalist. But, and, and hence I've seen the evolution and I have many data points. What I always felt is that I worked very hard, but I was also lucky. Uh, and even when I had difficult times, I, I considered this luck because this was formative for me and enabled me to, to be more appreciative of uh, circumstances and of uh, relationships and, and um, difficult times. I learned a lot. So I feel grateful for, for this experience. So I always wa wanted to, to pay it forward, to, to also help other people fulfill their dreams. I'm, I'm really moved when I see people having the passion and lacking the resources. So I, given where I am today, I want to be helpful to more people. And that's what actually inspires me to, to be an investor um, and be near uh, those people who are willing to, to create something. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a very fulfilling uh, thing what we're doing. I feel very fortunate. Uh, and I'm, when feel... your face says it, you know, when you talk about all these outcomes, you know, there's a positivity and uh, yeah. you can see that you, you, you're in the right place. Yes, exactly. And it's great because now I've scaled because I feel very happy with the team that we have at Venture Friends. We're all like-minded, uh, working hard, inspired to help uh, other entrepreneurs. So it's great to be able to, to help at a larger scale and be part of great stories uh, and uh, learn along the way. I mean, what else can you ask for? Like in the records that we say stories worth telling and spreading. And here we would really, our audience would love your advice because uh, it's covered like we have all the countries like the Balkans startup ecosystem. 
as an audience. Um, and many, many startups, they built a startup in Greece, in Bulgaria, in Romania, but they want to expand. Of course. How do you build, from when you start building a startup, a scalable business model? I mean, the, um, the idea of building a startup, it means that you have chosen a business model that is scalable. But how, how do you export this? How do you expand yes, it abroad? Correct, uh, and, and we have seen you know, the playbook of many successful companies. And it is similar even if we're talking, we're doing more B2C, but then the same goes for B2B. And actually for B2B, probably it's a bit easier because uh, we have seen how Blue Ground or Spotable or Flex, how those companies did it. They, they created in their home market uh, the, the tech, they build the tech, they, they created the playbook, the operational playbook, and then they just expanded country by country by having a local team who is doing the local go-to-market, the marketing sales, and they had the playbook which they implemented. In all. And this goes back even to BIT, TaxiBIT, which went all the way from Greece to Peru. Uh, what, what a story. I mean, nobody <laughs> believed that from Greece we're going to go to Peru and become the leader in the mobility. We actually overtook Uber at the time. Uh, and I think still BIT is probably ahead of Uber in that market. So uh, the playbook for, for a B2C company is that. For the B2B, it's even easier in, uh, in the sense that uh, you can do sales remotely, you can do marketing remotely. You don't, we have successful companies like uh, Workable or Epignosis, Talent LMS, which are, they don't have many people internationally. I mean, Workable has, but in the beginning they had customers from Australia or from the, the US and they didn't have uh, mm -hmm. people on the ground. They just had... They were doing marketing centrally from here. They had the sales team here that was catering to the inbound interest. So uh, the, the idea is that you have our local markets, you can have the R&D center in Bulgaria, Romania, Greece, and then you, you probably need more talented salespeople, uh, talented, I would say more experienced, because in the US or Europe, bigger markets, they have a tradition in B2B sales, so you need to find the talent in sales that our markets here don't don't typically have. We don't have this this depth in the markets. So yeah, that's that's a playbook. And uh, do you have uh, the belief entrepreneurs have a bigger role to play in solving the world's problems beyond creating value in the economy? Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, entrepreneurs um, can play a bigger role, and many of them are already playing. We see more and more entrepreneurs and investors being. Um, sensitive around environmental issues, about uh, general um, sustainability, let's say, objectives. Um, and many people get passionate and go ahead uh, and launch businesses that help in that direction. And many investors, they have it in their agenda to support such entrepreneurs. So I'm expecting, I already see a turn. Uh, and everybody asks us, uh, many, many investors Social ask us. Social impact ESG. Do you have, yes, exactly. ESG, what is your ESG agenda? What is ESG? <laughs> uh, yeah, and we're, we're moving oh, yeah. in that direction, but, and I believe that you can have, you should have both eventually. It's just that, uh, you know, it, in, in our ecosystems, we don't have the luxury in the beginning to be too selective and also thinking about. But you can guide them through towards their journey afterwards yes. and include this. Uh, Definitely. You can also include those, those metrics in this direction, which we had it subconsciously, just not in a, in a quantitative way. But yeah, I think that more and more, I'm sure that more and more people are getting involved in um, ESG projects and investors are increasingly seeking to get involved in those companies. And it's important to, like, instead of walk, talking the talk, start more walking the walk towards this uh, direction. For sure, uh, yeah, certainly, and we, we we see this happening. I mean, many entrepreneurs are are doing uh, it, are doing this, and many investors are launching funds that are focusing on that. I have two last very short questions. Sure. Uh, the one is Apostolos when he was eight or ten. What advice you could you would give him if you would meet him today? Uh, You're eight years old. I'm eight years old. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. I don't know what advice. I think I feel pretty happy, even though you know, uh, you know, you're not taking many decisions. At least 
I felt that at that age, I wasn't taking many decisions for myself. <laughs> I was not too conscious. I mean, I just told you that even my, my um, degrees, my, de my degree was, I mean, the university I attended was not actually my fully conscious decision. I hadn't really spent much, much time about it, thinking about it and deciding about it. So no, I, I think I, I, don't have an advice to give to my, I don't have an advice to give to my eight or 10 year old self. Maybe to my 15 year old self, uh, the advice would have been okay to, to be a bit more informed, a bit more inquisitive, because I was, I was a bit, I was open, but I wasn't really proactive in getting more stimuli, um, which would have broadened my horizon earlier. And that happened once I entered university. It could have and happened a bit earlier. Through your peers and tech Yes, through my peers. Teachers. Yeah, teachers, educators. peers, uh, anything, anything. There were so many experiences uh, from the, my mm -hmm. social environment. And that was like what you would like to be remembered for? I mean, I, I want to be um, remembered for, you know, having um, uh, supported other people in, in their journey and by having overall a, a positive impact. Um, I think this is, this is the, the epitome of Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. In the next episode of the Recursive Podcast, we meet with Pavlina Yanakieva, the co-founder and CEO of Bulgaria Innovation Hub. At only an hour a day mm. to to think about like what what is it that you know what what challenge can I can I solve? Like what can I do to make Bulgaria a better place? An hour a day or or an hour, I don't know, a, a week or a month. There's so many things. I mean, imagine the impact. There is only if one person, you know, or 10% of these people uh, that are outside of the country uh, can sit down and, and think about what can I do? Like if I connect Georgi to Ivan, who lives in New Jersey, uh, and because Georgi needs help, you know, trying to uh, get to someone in a company that I just, you know, uh, finished working at, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Why shouldn't we do that? Why shouldn't we follow the examples of the Indian community, for instance, in IT, or um, you know, the Chinese community uh, who are holding hands, they're helping each other interviews, learning how to interview um, and get jobs at the you know, tech giant companies. Why shouldn't we do that? And if you are just as passionate about innovation as we are, hit subscribe for the Recursive Podcast on YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere.